ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello, this is Tom Gelson. By day, I'm a senior editor with The Stream, website at stream.org, but you'll also hear me from time to time introducing podcasts here at ID the Future. Not long ago, I was thinking back on my background studying biology, and I wrote the story up for the stream, and you can find it republished at evolutionnews.org here with Discovery Institute. It starts with a perhaps surprising, almost embarrassing admission that I have to make. Uh, You'll understand why as I go along and why it matters to intelligent design and, and why it matters to the way science gets taught in school, because you see... I didn't like biology in high school. It made me angry, actually. It's ironic, looking back now, considering my involvement here with ID the Future and with Discovery. But it's been a long time. A lot has changed since the 1970s, and I've changed too. Needless to say, I've come around a good bit since school days. It was bad then, though. It was bad. Mr. V, my high school biology teacher, was definitely part of the problem. He spent six class periods teaching us Charles Darwin's life story. Now, don't jump to conclusions here, okay? It's not that it took him six hours to get through all that material. No such luck. He delivered exactly the same story, one class period long, beginning to end, all six times. Maybe he didn't realize he'd already done it once. Twice? Three times? Four or five, six times before? Whatever the reason, it was certifiably bad teaching. But Mr. V wasn't my biggest issue with biology classes, and it wasn't Mr. V who made me angry, either. Angry? Yes. And now, some listeners will probably jump to conclusions again. I'm a conservative Christian, so the problem was evolution, right? Wrong. Way wrong. An old joke tells the problem quite nicely. There's this company that wants to hire a genius, you see, and the hiring manager has got it down to three candidates. They're all sitting in the room together with him, and he asks them all together, what would you say is the most amazing technology in the world today? The first one says, it's the internet, no doubt about it. Look at all the information. Look at all the communication. The hiring manager nods appreciatively. The second candidate says, no, 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 it's medicine. Can you even believe how many lives we're saving these days? Another appreciative nod from the hiring manager. And then the third one speaks up and says, no, 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 you're both wrong. It's the thermos bottle. No appreciative nod this time. Everyone turns and stares, and finally someone asks the question, the thermos bottle? Yes, the thermos bottle. Just look, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. How does it know the difference? It's a joke, right? Okay, but I had a problem, something like that, with what they were teaching me about the living cell, Mr. V and the textbook. What they said was it had a cell wall in plants or a cell membrane with everything else, and that the membrane or wall let oxygen in along with hydrogen and nitrogen and calcium and phosphorus and sodium and everything else the cell needed, and it put other chemicals out, like garbage on trash day. And I wanted to know, how does it know the difference? And this time, unlike the thermos bottle, something really incredible 
was going on. But our textbook glossed over it like no problem at all, and that bugged me. Interestingly enough, it turns out there's a connection here with Charles Darwin. Not that he had the same problem, actually. What's interesting is that he didn't. As far as he knew, as far as anyone knew, it was a featureless little blob. It had its cell wall or its cell membrane, and everything inside, all it had inside, was just a boring glob of goo. The goo had a name, or it would soon enough. While Darwin was publishing his Origin and Descent, other scientists were publishing things like, all living cells are made of a living substance called protoplasm. Note how they called it a substance, as in just one thing, a substance. What did they mean by that? Well, I've got another weird story for you. Many years ago, again, I read a comic that explained Lex Luthor's hostility to Superman. Now, I don't turn to comic books to fill in my science knowledge, but there's a point to the story. And of course, there have been lots of Lex Luthor myths. Luthor in this one had just invented protoplasm in his lab. He had manufactured life, the real thing. But then the lab caught fire and Superboy, they were both teens at the time, Superboy came along and put the fire out with the super breath. In the process, all the chemicals got mixed up and Luther's grand invention, life itself, in the form of protoplasm, was ruined. He blamed it on Superboy and the rest is comic and movie history. Well, no, again, I'm not saying comic books are where you find your answers to science or even for disappointing biology classes. The authors of that comic were, I'm sure, years behind on the science themselves. Still, it helps illustrate what science thought for several decades, that life's secret ingredient, the thing that made life different from non-life, was a substance, something you could imagine a mad scientist cooking up in a beaker. Boy, were they wrong. Well, I'll give them a break, of course. It was the best they could do with early microscopy, but it was way too simple. And that apparent simplicity was, in fact, one reason that Darwin could think evolution had the ability to produce all of life's grand variety. He just didn't know what we know now. Anyway, when I was in high school, if I recall correctly, it's been a while, they were still talking about protoplasm. By then, they'd also found there was other stuff in the cell besides the nucleus, mitochondria, Golgi bodies, and other organelles. They also knew the cell membrane pulled the right chemicals in and pushed the right stuff out. As for how that membrane knew the difference, though, my textbook just ignored the question. Well, I didn't buy it. I figured something was up, something they weren't telling us. Maybe I was too hard on them. Scientists really had not much clue at the time, at least compared to what's known now. Again, it wasn't their fault. It's just taken decades of advances to get us where we've come since then. But it bothered me how the textbook just ignored the problem. It bothered me enough I remember it to this day. Maybe with a better teacher than Mr. V, I would have been inspired to go on and study and help find out. Others did, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad, too, that I get to help bring some of their work to the public here, because scientists do have a clue now, and it's more amazing than I ever dreamed in high school.
more amazing than any of us ever dreamed, way more amazing. Someone at church asked me not long ago, just how complex is a simple cell? Like, is it as complex as a computer? I gave him the answer that I've come to learn lately, which is that if you take a simple cell like a bacterium, you're not looking at complexity on the level of a computer, not even close. Cells are more on the level of a large city in their complexity, computers included. I can only imagine how different school might have been if we'd had videos like some of the amazing short videos that you can see on YouTube. One of my favorites is on the channel Veritasium. That's spelled V-E-R-I-T-A-S-I-U-M. I love that channel. It's on Veritasium, and the title of the video is Your Body's Molecular Machines. You can look it up, and if you've never heard of molecular biological machines, that video will blow your mind. Derek Muller, the host, raises an intriguing question at the end of it. He asks, will humans someday be able to design nanomachines like the ones that he'd just shown in that video to insert in our bodies and to help heal diseases? Maybe. I won't say no. But I'm skeptical. This much is certain, though. It could only happen with years of intense study, extraordinary technology, enormous insight, and a healthy dose of creativity. Muller would undoubtedly agree. And still, I seriously doubt that even he is taking the problem seriously enough. Your body has something like 30 trillion cells in it. That's 30 trillion large cities worth of complexity, with thousands of nanomachines powering and doing the work inside each and every one of them. And that's only a glimmer of it. All that complexity gets multiplied exponentially by what it takes for those trillions of, quote, cities to work together as tissues, organs, and systems, keeping you alive, moving, thinking, communicating, working, loving, and everything else you do. It raises the question, how did all this happen in the first place? How did all those nanomachines develop? How did they come to work together so effectively? Can naturalistic evolution explain this seriously? There was a time, maybe when I was in high school, when evolutionists would have answered, well, just hold on, hold on, we'll learn more, we'll be, we'll, we'll be fine, we'll get that solved for you. And they would have been wrong. Science is heading the other direction instead. The problem is actually much harder now than they ever thought it was then. This isn't, quote, God of the gaps or some silly rush to say God did it when, with a little more patience, we could hold on for answers from science. No, this is Science keeps running into greater and greater and greater problems for evolutionary theory because of this growing knowledge of the true complexity of life. Meanwhile, the intelligent design paradigm keeps fitting better and better. In one of the podcasts that I've edited here at ID the Future, Dr. Howard Glicksman tells part of the story. We'll have a link to that in the program notes. I wish someone could have taught me in high school what he explained then, how the cell membrane knows the difference. We know something about it now. We don't know it all. There's a lot left we have just beginning to realize we don't know. And yet, what we do know is stunning. And as he explains, it's pretty hard to give unguided evolution credit 
for accomplishing it. And that's why I like biology better now. Someone is taking those questions seriously. They always were. I know that. But for me, in high school, what I had exposure to didn't look like it. There's been incredible progress, and we have more detailed answers now. And they're astonishingly interesting answers. It's easier finding access to those answers, including here at ID the Future. I have to wonder, though, what are they teaching today in your children's high school? For ID the Future, this is Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by Center for Science and Culture.